Hello, we are here. Uh, this is Joshua Grady here, Agent Talk. Today is Saturday, May 30th. Um, I guess we'll just kind of get into it. I'm joined by my wife, who I have been begging to get on the podcast for some weeks now, but she is here. Uh, we are just a few days, really two days removed from the murder of George Floyd, and we really just wanted to put out an episode. Uh, for those that don't know, I'm black, my wife is white, and our son Roman, about eight weeks old, is half and half, essentially. Um, and just, I guess, wanted to touch, because we both come from two very different backgrounds. We have different perspectives, and I think it's a unique time that we're in to have a black man with a white woman with a mixed child that can give and maybe an unbiased assessment of everything going on. So do you have, I guess, any initial takes on everything from his murder to police brutality to the riots, protests, anything of that nature? Any, I guess, initial thoughts? I guess the murder itself, the video kind of speaks for itself. Um, how much wrong and sin is still in the world. Um, seeing the video, like, once was enough to see it, but to see the cop's face and to see like the lack of awareness and like emotion going on in him really in his facial expression while maybe he was killing him um, was the biggest shock to me while bystanders were like hey hey like he can't breathe like hey and he just looked blank like that was the biggest eye-opener for me like you're a human like do you feel do you understand what you're doing right now um in terms of the riots being white i feel like everyone has a point of view some people are like oh there's a specific way to riot and i had seen a a protest a protest yeah. um and i had seen a picture on instagram and it was like, okay, Colin Kaepernick was on his knee. That's the wrong way to do it. People doing a peaceful protest, that's the wrong way to do it. Them um, specific groups destroying stores, even there were white individuals destroying stores, and it's like, that's the wrong way to do it. And from my point of view, I was just kind of sitting back listening, like, okay, I'm not going to have a view right away. I'm just going to take in what everybody is saying and it was very eye-opening to see like okay we all have a point of view of what is the right way to do something but if you aren't the race being affected can you really say what is right because hmm. um, for a lot of people of color it's like okay well every way that we have tried is considered wrong so how why do you as a white population get to determine how we grieve or how mm. we react in anger or hurt or whatever it might be. Um, what do you think is like a tangible step that can be taken because it does seem like everything is cyclical in a sense. Like I remember thinking back to um, Ferguson. Ferguson was really my first exposure, I was in college, this maybe 2012, I want to say, where I saw, I want to say he was killed 
or I mean, I don't even, I mean, it's so far removed. I don't even know the name or what happened, but I know that it was something racial and it caused a lot of people to be out in the streets. Uh, I know for me, it caused a lot of outrage to really my first exposure of racism, even if it didn't happen to me. But it seems like this is just an ongoing cycle of while it's Ahmaud Arbery, who you know just a few months ago was killed by two white individuals. And you have George Floyd, and truth be told, fast forward a month, two months, three months, there will be somebody else. What steps do you think can be taken? Because I guess from my perspective, it seems as though what we are doing as a black community and just as people as, in, as a whole isn't working. What, from your perspective, be on the other side of things, what do you think can be done to take a step? Because it seems like nothing really is working. I guess it starts in the home, especially in white homes. It's not talked about enough. It's like if this were to be on TV and there were to, a news station were to be covering it, a lot of white families might just change the station. Like, let's mm. just avoid it. Or a child's looking at it on social media and it's like okay we've, we've heard about this enough we've seen it enough like just stop looking at it and avoiding it um instead of like sitting your child down whether it's a white child an asian child whatever race the child is and being like okay this is what's going on in the world this is wrong just like trying to give them wisdom and understanding instead of kind of just throwing kids out in the world and letting them get their point of views and perspectives from media and whatever else. It's like start in the home, explain to them what's going on. And we had talked about it earlier where media can be so deceiving in ways where I had seen an article, this was like two days ago, where this mother in Tulsa, um, she had two children, a three-year-old girl and a two-year-old boy, and they drowned in a river behind their home apartment complex and it's like that hits the news for a day and the family members of the mother were like she had made it clear multiple times that she didn't care about the children didn't want them and in my eyes it's like okay that's sin like she let her two children off near a river they couldn't swim like careless action and I think that sin to a lot of people we put sin on like a hierarchy of what sin is worse than others. Police brutality in our country is considered like the worst possible thing that could go on. Um, so it's like that mother could be charged with murdering her two babies or you hear about moms drowning their kids in bathtubs or whatever else, but it's that's not as bad or as like worthy of coverage as police brutality and news stations know this and mm. it's almost like they fuel the fire by only covering stuff that will spark division. like riots and division yeah. and stuff that goes on um, so I would say like expose your children to what's going on but also don't let them get all their information from news sources that take sides because it's just going to cause more were you, so you grew up Northeast, you know, you're a white woman. Most white women are, I'm trying to think of the word, um, completely unaware, 
truth be told, of racial tensions, racial issues, things of that nature. For you, in your up, like, can you, I guess, describe your upbringing with race? Like, when did you get to the point where you realized, like, hey, I'm white, but I'm not superior because I'm white? Like, can you touch on that, I guess? I grew up in a middle-class home. Um, I was born in Memphis and lived the first few years of my life in Mississippi, where in kindergarten, like, my best friend was black. She was a black girl. When we moved to the north, I didn't really understand that there are less minorities than there were when we lived in Mississippi. But yet, my closest friends have always been minorities. And I think being in the Northeast, which is a, I would say, for the most part, you have a lot of upper-class white families. I didn't connect with many of the kids that got everything handed to them or got special privileges in in terms of like tutoring or got to play all these different sports or their parents had mentioned like oh if you can't like get a scholarship like we'll just pay for it because we have all this extra money it's like I didn't connect with families or children like that um so I would say for me growing up in the north I was almost drawn to listening and understanding with those who didn't look like me going through um but I would say the biggest thing I've always been quiet and a listener which almost helped me in that way growing up with my best friends being minorities because it was like I'm open ears like you obviously have a lot of thoughts and different perspectives like let me in on what is going on in your mind or in your life or what you have experienced. That's interesting because for me I don't think I've talked about this on here yet but some of my upbringing was almost opposite where like the very first time I ever felt judged or hated by someone was by my older sister. Like my sister emotionally bullied me growing up. And I remember even some individuals, this would be like in Little League football, because I was raised to speak a certain way. I was raised to say yes sir, no sir. I was raised to have manners to be polite. I was raised by my mom to make sure that what I needed to do academically came first and foremost. And you get picked on by your black peers because you, you, oh, why are you talking white? Hey, oh, you care about school? You're such a whitey. Like, and I think for me, that's why even when I see things of this nature, I can tend to have um, a different approach than a lot of black people when we see things like this because I realized early on all people are evil. Hey, it's just, it, it doesn't matter your skin tone, doesn't matter the amount of money that you have. And on both sides, that is, to me, the root of the issue is white people fail to realize, hey, white people are evil too. Black people fail to realize we got evil in us just as much. And I don't think until we ever get to that point, to me, everything goes back to what our real roots are. To me, it goes, y'all listen, it goes to the Bible. It really does. When you read like Cain killed Abel and he was just in the second generation, they probably looked just alike and he killed his brother. But I guess that's a 
topic we can dive in at another time. So with Roman now, like we are in a time where there's a lot of racial tension, a lot of things going on. Roman is going to be in a space that neither of us have been in being mixed. Do you have any fears or thoughts, worries about his future being in the United States? So my master's will be started towards identity coordination and biracial children. So I tried to interview those who were mixed, both female and male, and get their perspectives on how their upbringing was. Um, and it was very interesting because I had interviewed this biracial boy who he had light, lighter skin as he would say and he said he was more accepted by the white community because any little bit of white in him he felt that the black community felt threatened by mm. that um, so he said like, I tried to just like be friends with anybody but yet I was more pushed towards the white crowd because I had even a little bit of white in me um, and interviewing a biracial girl she said she felt something similar where she was mixed and she said that in the black community she felt that being mixed was like because you had white in you that's you're not more, black enough yeah and mm -hmm. that's more privilege just having a little bit of white privilege like again you don't belong with us or threaten us in some way um so I would say for Roman, I think it'll be different being a male. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting just because you have a perspective of you have experienced what it's like to be black in America. I have an experience of what it's like to be white and what will his experience be being kind of in the middle. Um, but definitely the research kind of opened my eyes to a lot of mixed children struggle with their identity because they feel like they're not on one side of the spectrum where there's complete white privilege. They're not on the other side of the spectrum where a lot of times opportunities and disparities are like so clear and evident from the jump. But he's kind of in the middle where he's kind of like, I don't really know where I fit in. Um, so I think it'll definitely be a little bit of a challenge for us how to maneuver through making sure he is firm in his identity and that he can identify with both and be proud of being both. Um, you speak on privilege. Yeah. What to you is white privilege? Because that's a term that is used a lot. Yeah. What is that? Um, growing up, I never had to about opportunities in education, sports. I never had to worry about being in a space where I felt judged for the color of my skin. We've spoken on this before, but I'm more proud of being a woman than I am white. Um, I think we're always proud of the thing that gets kind of challenged in society, whether it's your skin tone, it's like, then that's what you want to be proud of because it's like everyone, some groups might put this down but like I'm proud of it and I'm gonna stand for it it's like the underdog mentality yeah. almost. whereas being white it's like that's like you have all the privilege in the world you're never gonna go into a classroom and the teacher thinks like oh they might need some extra help or tutoring 
like Simone had talked about before, like she's top in her class in high school, even in college. And I remember a professor, she said, had come up to her in college and been like, oh, like if you ever need like extra help or anything, like I'm here. And she's like, you never even asked for it. Like, why are you coming to me with that? Can you speak on what you said when you and Simone talked about? So Simone is a black woman, yeah. <clears throat> one of his best friends. I think this might have been at Magoogan about yeah. that instance. Mm-hmm. So Simone had, we were walking into Magoogan, which was our athletic eating hall, um, and two white men had passed us, and they were like, hey, Lydia, hey, Simone. And we both had said hey in response and kept walking and Simone was like, you know, like, they only said hi to me because I'm walking next to you and you're white. And I was like, what do you mean? She said, if I was ever walking alone without you in this direction, they probably wouldn't even look at me and it's happened before. And in my eyes, I'm like, that's crazy. And so the more we started to walk together, like, I would realize if she were to be ahead of me and I were to be behind her, like, they wouldn't look at her, but the moment I walk by, it's like, hey, Lydia, what's going on? It's like, wait, like, you saw her. She was right in front of me. Like, why did you not say But if you are together, they would have said hi to both of you guys. Both of us. Can you, so then, on the flip side, can you speak on your experiences being around Sasha's friends? Sasha is another black woman as well. So I would say in college, um, Sasha and Simone were two of my good friends in college. Um, Sasha's friends, I felt judged around. Um, Like if I were to be walking with Sasha, they would acknowledge her, but would like give me a dirty look, um, which I thought was kind of flipped from the experience that Simone was in. But again, being her friends being black and women, it's like two considered lesser things in our society. So it's like, did they feel threatened in that moment that like, why is Sasha friends with this girl? Like, shouldn't she just be friends with us? And so I had to, I guess, change my perspective on like, I'm not in their shoes. Like it's very, it would be very easy for me to be like, like, why are they not saying hi to me? Um, but just kind of taking a step back and being like, they have a completely different experience than I do. And I respect that. Like, I'll continue to, like, wave to them, say hello. If they say hello, great. If they don't, that's okay because we aren't the same skin tone. We're women together. But I feel like just women in society, whether you are the same race or not, there's always a little bit of tension. Why is that? Jealousy. Mm. Even between like me and girls that I played soccer with that we were the same skin tone. It's like there's always, when it comes to women, because women have so many insecurities, there's always a little bit of tension and jealousy between you and your best friends, you and your siblings. Like there's a lot. Me and my sister were obviously eight years apart, so there was little jealousy and tension. But I know friends that have sisters that are only a year older or two years, and there's tension and jealousy between those relationships. I wouldn't say that's not just women. I think that's, for whatever reason, people innately, we have these egos, pride, insecurities that just arise for whatever reason. 
So a little diving a little deeper. What do you think God thinks about race and just everything going on? upset him I think it because he, he says Jeff brought this up in Genesis this might be chapter 6 before the flood it said that God regretted or lamented ever making man like think about that though like he looks at us sees all the wrong that we're doing all the division that we have and he laments like sad at what we have become granted he had foreknowledge so he's you know he got his own plan like let's not forget that but the fact that we have our creator that's like what are y'all doing like that to me because i can only remember when i was growing up it was okay not okay but like my parents were mad at me that's one thing if they were ever i'm not i'm not mad i'm disappointed that would hurt my soul as a son but it's like we forget where we come from we really forget that and I, that's the one message i have tried to speak on here on instagram and in conversation black white yellow red purple we all come from the same place and white people act like they don't know that it's like they believe they are the superior not all but we're the superior race and so we're better than the rest Failing? a lot of it is just ignorance mm. um, even in schools like why is there only one month of black history black history is history but yet all of our history books are all the great things so-called great things that white people do yeah. and you do more research and it's like hey that president that this book this history book spoke so highly of actually did all this wrong but yet it's not spoken about but yet we have one month that's like okay Martin Luther King Wilma Rudolph like Harriet Tubman same people Tubman, Jackie Robinson yeah. Winfrey Obama and it's like we only talk about that for a month and then let's get back to the white people that like that is talked about in history books and I remember talking to my dad about it after I had taken a class in college called Racial Domination and Racial Progress and I'm like, I don't want Roman to even be like in, the in, in those books in those books yeah. because he's being brainwashed it's like, I would love to just go through books that 
I believe are telling truth and have them reading that and say, forget the history books. We can just homeschool you and teach you what actually has gone on in this world. And it's like, it's not as great as it all seems in these history books and this white pride that a lot of people have, I think would be diminished a bit if they had understood what has actually gone on in our history. What do you think the church needs to do? Speak. I think it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about, especially because, especially in Nashville, I would say the majority of churches are white, with white pastors. It's like you have to speak about issues like this. You have to, like I was telling you before, pastors have to be open to be like, okay, why not? Let's have a conversation with the minorities in our church saying like, hey, how can we contribute? How can we help? How can we become more knowledgeable instead of avoiding it? We're talking about other issues where it's like, it's still sitting there, like you're avoiding it. It's it's very clear, it's sitting right there and you're kind of like trying to make your way around it. Um, but I would say it has to be talked about first and foremost, and I think the minorities within the church have to be acknowledged. If they don't talk on it, you feel like they don't see you. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is what's going on with my race, but yet you're still trying to talk about whatever else is on your agenda. It's like, hello, my race is being affected. See me. Look at me. What do you... I really wonder, and I just kind of want your thoughts. As I have tried to dive more into our history as just mankind, um, understanding the Bible, understanding the geography behind the Bible. Being a white woman, white believer, do you have any, um, was there any hesitation, I guess, to believe that our Savior was not white? when he is painted out as being white in America and in the world? I think that's just something like, you're not taught. You just, like you go through a store, you go into the Christian section where there are books about it or little kids books and it's like, Jesus is white, angels are white. Like every, every figure is white. And it wasn't until you like see a movie where you're like, he's a bit tan, is he tan? Is it from the sun? Is he not white? Like, you don't know, because growing up, all you see is him. White. He's white. And all these other, even when we were talking about Santa, it's like, Santa to me was white, Santa to you was black. Yeah. Santa to an Asian family could have yeah. Asian. Like, yeah. yeah, I guess it's, it's like the ignorant part of whatever is put in front of you is what you believe. Mm. So it's like, if parents put children's books about white children that's just what you think is the norm and that's what the world's like if you put books and baby dolls that are different color and races and female and male like your experience will be different in the world because of your exposure as a child what is one step that you yourself can take to try to push this country and this world forward in regards to unifying racism? I'd say for me, because my passion is children, just for example, for Roman, like 
exposing him to books where the characters are all white, the characters are mixed, the characters are black, the characters are Asian. When I am nannying or babysitting, whatever it might be in the future, the majority of the time the kids that I watched were white. And it's like, I think that's my job in that position to expose them to, to like, I know all the books that your parents might put in front of you have white characters, but maybe I pack a few books that show you that that's not all there is in this world. Yeah. Um, but I would say for me, because my passion is children, is trying to like put truth in front of children. Um, even like my sister's children, they are three white boys, and it's like they need to be seeing this too. Like they need to be reading books that don't just have white characters. Like yeah. they need to be exposed to this type of stuff. Um, what would you say for you? What can I do? What is one tangible step? What think would you say your passion is? My passion I have a lot of passions. I think talking. Obviously, I'm in sports. Uh, being an agent. I think, to me, it all has to go to having a basis of truth. Um, Rabbi Zacharias, I'm believe about to. Hey, I'm on the I'm on the uh, the binge right now. Rest in peace. But the one thing he said is so true. We look to the left and to the right for answers. We look horizontally. We look at Democrat, Republican. We look black or to the right, to the white. We look at rich or poor for answers, for identity, for solutions. And until we change our perspective from looking horizontal to looking ver vertical, we will never find answers. So for me, above anything else, and it's a cliche answer, but it's the truth, the best thing I can do is to give more truth to people, people to understand like, yo, we all come from the same place. Jesus, Yeshua, which is, if you don't know what that is, Google it. Uh, Yeshua's feet were bronze. They were not white. Understanding Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden. When you know the geography, was somewhere over in the Middle East. Like, it wasn't in America or Europe. It was in the Middle East. They were probably of darker descent. And for more people on both sides to understand that, that's one big issue I've realized is on the white side, not enough white people understand, even believers, that their savior that they pray to was more likely of black descent, just color. But then also on the black side, one thing that stops a lot of black people from coming to the faith is what you just said, is how Jesus has been whitewashed. And until we both understand who he really was, who he really is, we will always have this enmity with each other. We will always have this enmity with God, the separation from God, because on both sides, we are living for myths. We are following lies, following lies, and just losing ourselves in these identities that are made up, just being honest. Um, That'll be my take for sure. Um, but, you know, above anything else, I just want to make sure like, that one thing I read is we can have all of these ambitions 
to change the world, but first thing we have to do is fortify our own house. And that means for me, making sure I'm learning, gaining wisdom, in tune with the Lord, making sure that you are doing the same, and above all else, growing Roman, so that him in the next generation, he could be a leader as well. Um, so last question for you, in light of the times, everything going on, what would you say is one thing that you are grateful for in this moment? sure and I, I think I know for sure it's not an accident that God placed us together in the time that we're in and Roman is not an accident that his makeup is what it is you know so um, I mean it kind of goes back to my last answer just being grateful to know the truth um, I do think that a lot of us when you like Going back to Ravi, one thing he said was, you know, when we rely on looking for things to the left and to the right for who we are, for our identity, for our purpose, for our mission, like Solomon says, it's grasping for the wind. It's literally trying to grab onto the wind and it's meaningless, pointless. And so just being thankful that we have been, that the truth has been revealed because it gives you something to stand on and when times of adversity, when times of confusion, of chaos arrive, it allows us to still have peace, to have love, to have joy because we know what's real and what's not. So I'll just say that. You got anything else? Okay, well, this is Joshua Grady, Little Grady here, Agent Talk, um, and aside from that, we're out.